Matthew chapter 28. This is now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for, the and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to him, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we come before you tonight. And God, we are excited to worship you. We are excited for the 70 years of faithfulness that you have shown to this church. And we're not even saying it was 70 amazing years. We're saying it was 70 faithful years. That you walked through us with the good days, the bad days, and everything in between. God, you have blessed more ministries than I could count. You have changed more lives and families than we could remember. And God, we are just thankful that what you did for the past 70 is just the beginning of what you're going to do for the next 70. God, we are praying big prayers. God, we are reading resurrecting scriptures. And God, we are trusting that the anointing and the covering and the blessing that you gave before, you will continue to roll out. So Jesus, you're good. We are thankful. Would you speak to us today? And would you challenge us with your scriptures? And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may go ahead and have a seat. We've been in Ezekiel chapter 47 for the last couple of weeks, and we're going to be here this week and next week. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your phones or tablets, we're going to get right into Ezekiel chapter 47. The first week we were gathered in here, we said that the first part of the vision that Ezekiel has is that the angel of the Lord takes him into a temple. And when he goes into the temple, he has this sacred encounter with the living God because we have said, and we're going to keep saying, that when they met in the temple, they believed it was God's house, but they believed it was where the two realms met together. It was where heaven and earth touched. It was where they had one foot in earth and one foot in heaven, and these were sacred meetings. And as the angel is looking around and showing him where to look, he sees this little trickle. After the sacred encounters, there's this little trickle this little bit of water is flowing across the temple and it's going under the door and it's flowing out. And last week we said when the angel brings Ezekiel around to the outside of the temple to that very same door, there's this trickle of water flowing out and, and he sees it going and he watches it. Then the angel leads him down a thousand cubits or 1,500 feet and, and finally the angel says, you're going to have to step into this. That there does come a point in our journey where we have to move from watching God, we have to move from believing in God to actually stepping into a relationship with him. 
We actually have to step into his kingdom. And so he steps in because of God's gentleness and his goodness. It doesn't go up over his head. It goes just up to his ankles. But as we walk with God, we find he does not leave us in the shallow end. He does not leave us playing in the kiddie pool. He leads us down the river. And as they went down a thousand cubits, the water kept getting deeper. It moved up to his knees, moved up to his waist. And then finally, in the, in, the, in the last part, the water is so deep, it says that no man can cross it. It's this raging river. And in 6a, that's where we're going to start. In the, in the verse 6, the angel says, are you seeing this? Are, are, are you seeing what's happening? Now, I I like that the angel says to him, are you seeing this? This is not a question of visibility. You understand this, right? You you understand sometimes in Scripture, you will see where Jesus or the the angels or where a teacher is saying something, but he means something else. So he says, are you seeing this? He's not asking, do you have your contacts in? Do you have your glasses on? Are your bifocals working today? Are you seeing this? Jesus in the Gospel of John uses that same seeing language so many times. Are you seeing what is happening? Church, I think there are times that we gather in the temple for sacred encounters. There are times we step out in the streams of his presence in the community where we are seeing things, but we're not seeing things. I think there are times that we are seeing or we are looking, but we're not seeing And when he says, are you seeing this? He's not saying, do your eyes connect with what's happening? He's saying, does your spirit resonate with what's happening? Do you understand what is happening in front of you? And so in the second half of six, let's pick this up. The angel takes him on a journey to show him what he ought to be seeing. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And verse seven says, as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there. And there the waters of the, great, of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Eneglium. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea, but its swamps and its marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of tree for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Son of man, do you see this? Do you see what's happening? Now, when we read this, most of us probably don't see what's happening. And that's kind of okay. When you read that, you're like, oh, that's nice. You know, this nice godly river flows and it's this picturesque scene. This is, this is quite nice. This is not a quite nice passage. This is an incredible passage. This back half is what we've been building to these previous couple weeks because when he says, are you seeing this? Ezekiel knows what he means and we don't always know what he means. Are you seeing this? When he climbs out of the river and walks back, he is standing on some of the most dead soil on planet Earth. See, the sea that we're going to get into in just a moment is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea gets its name 
accurately. And everything around the Dead Sea is like the sea itself, dead. And so he walks at the temple knowing exactly where he is in geography. He's like, yes, I'm on arguably the deadest piece of earth. Still to this day, the Dead Sea is dead. And he climbs out of the river and he walks back and what he sees is trees. Many trees on both sides all along the river. He looks out on what land should be dead and sees new trees sprouting up. And the angel says to him, wherever this river goes, there's going to be trees. And in the river, there's going to be life. There's going to be fresh fruit constantly every month because of this river. What we need to remember is that Ezekiel is in the presence of new life. He is not creating new life. Sometimes we like to rally around a certain pastor, a certain leader, a certain person. We, we like our charismatic people. We like the ones who bring wins and victories to the table. Ezekiel does not bring the new life. He is witnessing the new life because God brings the new life. The prophecy does not say, Ezekiel, wherever you touch your foot, your foot will cause new life. He says, wherever my river flows, there'll be new life. Now, church, I gotta be really honest. Churches, historically, have not done new real well. Can we laugh and be humorous for a second? Church, there's a lot of things the church has done well over the last couple thousand years. You want to talk faithful? The church has done some faithful stuff real good. Listen, you want to talk traditions? We are one of the most traditional institutions on planet earth. We do traditions real well. We don't do new so good. We, we, we want God to move in a way that he's moved before. We want God to move in a way that we like. We want God to move in a way that we understand. We want God to move in a way that makes sense to us. We want God to move in a way that makes sense to our denominational understandings. We want God to move in our denomination more than some other denominations, because that makes sense to us. We don't know why God would do something over there because we are over here. We like predictable. We like safe. We like traditional as the church. The world may change, but not the church. So much so that there are times with God we would rather keep this that we know more than go there to which we don't know, even if there is better. So we've not done new real well in the church. We have not thought God to do new things real often in the church. We love the immutability of God. That God is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we assume his blessings are such, but that's not true. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his blessings are fresh and new every day. Why on earth would we want it any other way? Why would we want God to grow stale and predictable? God, remember what you did when I was five? Could you do that again while I'm 55? Because I liked that then. God's like, well, that was only made sense when you were five. I've got a new blessing for you because you're 55. Do you want a 55-aged blessing? Or do you want your old five-year-old blessing again? Like, oh, I remember in church when Pastor John was preaching and his mullet was flowing in the wind. And I really liked how he did Tuesday night ministry. That was good. That was great when it was appropriate to knock on doors unannounced in people's neighborhoods. It was so good 
We sent vans around the community picking up random children. And that seemed okay. God, let's go back to the good old days when our children disappeared. And sometimes when the kids didn't want to get in, maybe we had a friendly old man luring them in. <laughs> children, I have some candy for you. Come meet God. That was good in the 80s, wasn't it? Remember I showed up here and I was praying and pacing before the service and someone walked up to me graciously and lovingly, if you're watching on camera right now, and said, you know, Pastor John stood at the door to welcome us. I said, well, that's too bad that he left. Because <laughs> I'm praying and pacing, because that's what I need before I preach. See, we like what we like, don't we? We like what we know. We, we like to expect predictable, and our God is, is, is the same, and his blessings are new and unpredictable. God likes creativity. God likes artistry. God likes doing something fresh. And every time we get God in this safe box where he's like, ah, that's just how I like him, he shows up and blows that box to smithereens. And every time you're like, well, I've read this Bible. I, I think I've got it figured out. God shows up and blows up your box and blows up your understanding and says, oh, I've got fresh things for you. I've got things you've never seen before. I'm going to do still coming down the line because we're not done yet. I am so thankful God does new things and brings life where there wasn't life before. I've got kids who need blessings that I can't provide for them. I, I, I've got prayers for the community that I may never see fulfilled, but I'm thankful that God will be faithful to bring new life where there wasn't life. I'm thankful the things that wasn't completed by pastors gone by that we are seeing completed now and in days to come because God does new things. Wherever that river flows, God brings new life where there was not life before. Now that's pretty amazing. That's pretty awesome. To create where there was nothing is pretty great, but that is not the peak of the story. God says, wherever this river flows, there will be new life. And it will flow into the sea, and the sea will bear life, and everything in this sea will be, have life. What sea did I say it was flowing into? The Dead Sea. So I picture the angel saying to Ezekiel, have you seen this? He's like, seen what? Let's walk out to the sea. Now, if he's been to the sea before, he knows what to expect. If you go to a sea called the Dead Sea, what do you expect to see? Nothing. That is the worst tour ever. Let's go to the Dead Sea. What am I going to see there? Death. What's in the sea? Nothing. The salt content is so high in the Dead Sea, nothing can survive. I don't mean like nothing creative or nothing beautiful. Nothing. The salt percentage is so high in the Dead Sea, life cannot exist there. And, and the angel said, do, do, do you see what I'm doing? This life-giving river doesn't just put life where there wasn't. It changes death to life. See, I'm impressed with something out of nothing. I am more impressed with life where there was death. And, Ezekiel, and the angel said to Ezekiel, do, do, do you see this? Do you see what our God can do? When God shows up where his river flows, death becomes life. I cannot think of a more needy, needing word in our time when we live in a disposable culture. It, we, we live in a time and day and age where everything is disposable. In fact, you are half thankful for that. 
Because the last time you bought a TV, it cost you hundreds, not thousands, right? Once upon a time, you bought a TV and you sat on the floor and you'd give it to your kids when they moved out 20 years later. Like, enjoy this floor mount TV. It cost us a fortune. Do you remember the first computer you ever bought? You took it a second mortgage? <laughs> like, once upon a time, we built things and we bought things that lasted forever, so to speak. We buy things now that are disposable. When was the last time you called the TV repairman to fix your TV? You see a couple of pixels going wonky. It's like, yoink. Disposable. I'll get a new one. Run into Walmart, throw a couple hundred bucks on the table, grab a new TV. My cell phone breaks, I'll just order a new one. We are in a disposable replacement culture. Disposable replace, disposable replace. And that's fine when it's light and silly. That's fine when it's TVs, dishwashers, lawnmowers, and phones and stuff. But can we be humble enough this, this evening to say, I think it's creeping into significant places. I, I, I think we're seeing the disposable culture move out of the realm of the silly and into the significant. And if you think for a moment, this is where I bring the guilt and the shame and the condemnation, you are so wrong. We are seeing it creep in. And that's why we need the gospel heralded more than ever. Because what's happening in our culture, and maybe you have felt, I have felt that pressure. You have felt yourself saying and looking in the death in the face, and you've found yourself saying, well, these things happen. I guess this is the way I've always been. Well, my mom and dad were divorced, so I'm sure that'll happen to me. That's just kind of how things go. And some of you up to today have been led down a lie and a path that's full of death. And I know that some things die in this world. I know that we live in a fallen and imperfect world, but church, I am telling you and I am praying for you that we are settling for too many funerals when there are resurrections available. We are surrendering and letting things roll over when sometimes it, not, it ought not to be that way because God has a resurrection up his sleeve. And when he takes Ezekiel out there, he says, look at this sea. The sea was dead and death. And when my presence showed up, I brought life. Now, the sea did not possess fresh water. Please don't make that confusion, that mistake. The sea did not possess fresh water. The sea was fresh water. See, if the sea possessed fresh water, that's just, it, it, it's being modified. It was transformed. The characteristic and the identity and the very nature of the sea have been brought from death to life. And what we tend to do in the church is bring from bad to a little bit better. God's like, I didn't want to modify you. I wanted to transform you. I wanted to change your very character, your essence, and your nature. I didn't want to modify your family heritage. I wanted to transform your family heritage. You're sitting there thinking, man, I, I did let death creep into my family. It doesn't have to continue. I'm like, wow, there's some some things in my past, my family's past, and you know, I probably did surrender to a funeral when a resurrection was possible. I'm feeling kind of guilty. It doesn't have to continue. You have the opportunity to change your family heritage and lineage and to pass down blessings to your kids that were not passed down to you because God brings death to life. Now, the most interesting thing about this vision, like if I had one of these visions in my life, it would forever change my ministry and perspective. Would it change your life if you had one vision like that? That's not Ezekiel's only vision. 
Like if I was Ezekiel and I got to see this thing, if I got to walk around and God showed me with my eyes a miraculous turn of events down the line, like man, like there's nothing that can stop me. I'm ready to go. I had a vision from God and Ezekiel had multiple visions. See, there was another vision in Ezekiel 37 where Ezekiel is standing and God shows up in Ezekiel 37. And Ezekiel is standing, looking over this place, and the place is called the Valley of the Dry Bones. And Ezekiel's standing, looking over a valley of death that's pretty much going to mirror the ocean of death. And he's standing over this valley of dry bones, and God shows up to him and he asks this question, do you think these bones can live? Man, church, I don't know. There have been some times I've been asked that question from God if I think these bones can live and I have said yes with my mouth and said no with my heart. You ever find yourself praying prayers with your mouth that your head and heart don't believe? Ever find yourself praying theological correct prayers that you don't buy into? And he says to Ezekiel, do you believe that these dry bones can live? Do you believe I am a God of resurrection? And that question to Ezekiel is a question for us. Do you believe that God turns death into life? Because I think sometimes when we're not careful, we believe God resurrected Jesus, period. Like, well, yeah, every Easter. We, we love Resurrection Sunday. It's called Easter. The tomb's empty. He's not here. He has risen. Like, we believe that. No, that's believing Jesus was raised from the dead. Do you believe in resurrection? Do you believe God can resurrect things in your life and in your family and in your marriage and our community? That's a different question. And, the, and, and God said to Ezekiel, and he's saying to us tonight, do you believe these bones can live? And as that question hung over Ezekiel, I would love to have been standing beside him. Like, does he answer immediately and impulsively like Peter would the New Testament? Or see like a doubting Thomas? Hmm, the theological correct answer, he says, I, I do. I, I believe these bones can live. Now, God says something really interesting in this vision because he does not just throw them into the river and throw them into the ocean. He says, then prophesy for these bones to live. Now, because we're Wesleyans, we don't prophesy. <laughs> we think people are weird when they prophesy because we're Wesleyans. And we wear, we wear a seatbelt in church. God said to Ezekiel, prophesy that these bones will live. My translation for free for you. Do you see what I'm about to do? Do you believe that I can do what I'm about to do? And I wonder for a moment if Ezekiel said, I don't know. If God would have said, fine, then I won't. And I wonder if there are times in our life where God shows up and says, do you believe these bones can live? And we say, these things happen. He's like, well, fine, then I won't. And I wonder if we are missing moments where we stare at the valley of dry bones in our family, in our addictions, in our kids, in our community. We're like, meh. God's like, well, I want to do something cool, but you weren't seeing it. And, Ezekiel, and so Ezekiel starts to prophesy. And as he prophesies, as he speaks to and preaches to what he sees and believes in his heart, the scripture in Ezekiel 37 says, these bones began to rattle. I cannot imagine 
standing over a valley of dry bones, hundreds and hundreds of bones that start to click and make noises. I also can't imagine the sound of Ezekiel's voice because I'll bet my life on it, he was not a Wesleyan because Wesleyans are lame. Because if I was preaching, I'd say, yeah, I believe. I believe. The song says I believe. <laughs> I'm swaying with my Wesleyan rhythm. And I would prophesy in a very conservative voice. I'd prophesy with really good theology. I'd stay in my time limits so the band could do their songs and the kids' ministry wasn't left too long. And I'd be really modest and really appropriate as not to let outsiders think we're weird. I picture Ezekiel getting up there and just letting it rip. Like I picture him just prophesying and preaching and sweating and believing that God was going to do the miraculous and these bones started to rattle. Church, there are some bones in our family, in our heritage, in our kids, in our community. There are some death creeping in and things that we have seen and we are starting to say, if we're not careful, well, these things happen. Church, do you want to see God do some, something miraculous? Very Wesleyan of you. I was raised Baptist. Sorry, I'm online. Where's our Pentecostal friends? Because Wesleyans are one part Baptist and one part Pentecostal. Wesleyans by heritage have treasured and honored the word to be preached, just like our Baptist friends. But Wesleyans in their heritage, John Wesley had a fire that was more Pentecostal than Wesleyan. And John Wesley went about preaching and believing the Holy Spirit to show up with, with the word and the fire of the Spirit. And he saw incredible things happen. And I wanna see God do something miraculous. I wanna see some bones rattle.